Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. In this episode, I'm joined by multi-award winning international speaker and founder of Inspired by Publishing, the amazing. Chloe Bisson, welcome to the Empire Builders podcast. I think it's great to be here. So, um, by the way, I'm not going to ask you any of the questions you're expecting me to ask you. Um, you told me recently that historically you've suffered with like anxiety and like you used to be really nervous when it came to speaking. Why on earth did you decide to pursue a career as a public speaker, given the fact that you were anxious or fearful of doing that? How did that come about? Yeah, great question. What possessed you to do this? <laughs> so for me, when I started my business, I had had mental illnesses in the past. I had really bad anxiety, depression, as you mentioned. And the only reason I started a business was actually because if I didn't work, I wouldn't get paid. Yeah. And so if I wasn't well enough to work, I was like, I cannot constantly be trying to get sick pay, trying to live on benefits, all that sort of stuff, which I was told to do, which is another story. And so I thought, I need to start a business that brings me money, whether I'm there or not. So my original, if I'm honest, answer was to not be visible whatsoever, which right. ironically now running the it's business. It's not the complete run. opposite. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, but what I did was when I started doing that was I realised, yes, it was great having the automated income streams coming in and the money coming in, but actually the way to get the best fulfilment in my life was actually to be visible. Yeah. And I wrote my first book, which was great. And again, it was telling my story, but I didn't have to tell it because right. I could write it once, someone else could read it. Yeah. But the more my book did for me, the more people offered me speaking opportunities. And the first time I ever spoke on stage wasn't planned. Mm. Someone was, in, I was in the audience and the person on stage knew I was a testimonial. I went, Chloe, actually, can you come up on stage and talk about this? And I was walking You're on like, stage, <gasps> please don't make me speak. And my throat was getting dry and I just had to breathe. But for me, it was that tiny bit. It was almost like a drug of seeing people's reactions. Yeah. So that nerves, the nerves didn't go. I'm not going to say they did. Sure. But being on that stage and sharing my story and the amount of people came up to me afterwards saying that was so inspiring. I thought, that's a bit of me. And that's where the whole journey started. Yeah, and, I was, and my guess is that if you'd been asked beforehand, come and speak at this event, prepare like a little 10 minutes, you'd have been like, absolutely not. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to have like a forcing function or be. sometimes it's good to be put on the spot, chucked in the deep end. Mm-hmm. Because actually you find that you're more capable than you probably realised, I suppose. So um, you were in a traditional employment situation, taking time off um, with um, illness, etc. You started your first business. What was that first business? Tell me about that. What was that all about? That business was a coaching business to help people who were in the corporate world basically find themselves. Because I had been in the corporate world for so long qualified very quickly and became a leader quite young and realised that so many people were screwed, to be honest. Like, what, what, was you, what was your job in the corporate world? By the way, these podcast episodes are mostly me just being super nosy and finding <laughs> out more about people because yeah. I don't even know some of this stuff about you, even though we know each other fairly well. Um, what was your corporate role? I was a chartered accountant. Okay. Actually. You have told me that. Yeah. Um, but I refuse to believe it. It sounds really boring. Um, you're not that at all. Um, so you were a chartered accountant, yeah. working in big accountancy firm. Yeah, big accountancy firm. So qualified by the age of twenty-one. Yeah. Became a director of the global firm by twenty-four. 
So I became head right. of compliance projects, all things central operations, basically. Yeah. Um, but I just wasn't enjoying it. I and I saw more and more people who sat at the board table just not happy. Mm. And I saw mums who were constantly away from their kids and putting their kids to bed and then jumping in a board meeting. And I was like, this is not me. Yeah. And so I decided to start coaching. And I went through my own breakdown. When I came back, I went back into the corporate world for a very short period of time. And I was like, there are so many people who are broken around. And that's when I thought, actually, if I can help some of those people fix themselves. So my actual business was a life coach. And mm-hmm. I do this, you know, intentionally. I, I sort of take this now because I was 26 years old trying to do life coaching. Like, I'd had a life, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But what I thought I wanted and what I actually wanted were two very different things. Yeah. So starting off the coaching business, mm-hmm. um, what was the first book and how did that come about? So first book was called Determined and Dangerous. Mm-hmm. So it came about because I was trying to make, do a book to monetize my business. Yeah more automated income streams. I was never driven by money, but I was driven by automation. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted results. So I wrote the book and actually it ended up not being a book that came out. I wrote about half the book thinking this is what's going to help my clients. And then I was right, and this isn't me yeah. again. So I rewrote the whole book and basically took my journals from when I was depressed and rewrote them into a self-help book for other people. Right. So it takes particularly anyone who's had a struggle or maybe feel like there's a gap in their life, which most of the corporate world I experienced yeah. had, and then take them through overcoming that to then working out what is their true calling, what is their true purpose, how I did that and have turned into a, a business. Here's what's interesting about what you just said. I think what you're saying is that the book itself, when you were trying to write the book, felt like really hard work. Mm-hmm. And when you actually just tapped into, first of all, something that you'd already created, um, and then maybe finessed that a little bit, you actually wrote a much better book. Exactly. So using your your, like your diary, yeah. your, your experience yeah. of when you were suffering with mental illness. And I think often that authenticity is what really works. So how, how long did it take to write the book after you'd kind of struggled with the first half of it? How long did it take to write the book? 10 days. What? <laughs> so, how? Because... Because here's the reason I'm asking this yeah. question. And I did, by the way, that was not a setup. I did not know the answer yeah, to that okay. question. You could have said a year. I didn't know what you were going to say. Um, but here's the reason I want to pursue this is because I think a lot of people, a lot of people that come to our events, that listen to our podcast, either have written a book, a book and it was a painful, long-winded experience, or they haven't written a book because they think it's going to be painful and long-winded, whereas you did it in 10 days. So, how? Did you write a book in 10 days? And before anyone else thinks it, I didn't spend every hour every day. That's the first myth. I actually only gave myself two hours a day. So I set aside, and it's just set a challenge. I have to write at least 2,000 words every single day, no matter what. They can be great words, they can be rubbish words, but I've just got to get it done. And I blocked that time in my diary, and I could not move on to my next meeting until I'd done that. And so sometimes, at first, don't be wrong, the first 2,000 was so slow, and it was like, crap, what am I going to write about? But I started with chapters that I had a lot to say because mm. then it, I got overcame that and then it was like turning my tap. Yeah. Once you get in the flow, it just became so much easier. And then I actually originally thought, I'll give myself a month. Let, even if that'll be, if I can do that, that'll be amazing. And then when it hit 10 days, I remember thinking, is that enough? Did I write enough? Yeah. But I thought, no, do you know what? Put it away, give it to a writer, give it to an editor, see what they think and go from there. Um, so when was this? What year this was this? This was 2019. Okay, so not that long ago, really, in the new scheme of things. We were recording this um, February 2023, so you know, um, three, four years ago. Um, so what did you do then? So you've written the book, it took you 10 days. The thing that um, I think a lot of people that have written books 
struggle with that I meet is like, how do I actually market? How do I promote? How do I get this book to work for me? Because um, very few authors ever create meaningful amounts of income from the book directly. So what was your, like you said, the purpose of the book was to um, essentially create another automated income stream and then um, support your core business. How did you market it? What was the business model? How did you make it work for you? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. So many people believe that it's going to make them loads of millions and it never does. It sits in the bookshelf and it doesn't go anywhere. They just give it away for free and hope for the best. So for me, it was about putting it in my funnel. So I was already into funnels. I did a lot automated income yeah. and so my plan was to launch it to get priority list going get people really excited yeah. get people on the journey with me and then i started just speaking at events and giving it out and then i launched a funnel that would sell it and then offer the next step so biggest piece of advice anyone listening or watching is what's next yeah. not just giving your book and saying give me a call if you've got any if you have any consultation what in the book so first tip put something in the book mm-hmm. that is like a bonus resource don't say, you can buy my products at X because they're never going to do that. So what complementary resource? So for example, I created a toolkit called the Determined Dangerous Toolkit. In the book, download this, work alongside it. I got their email, I got their name, I got the number, and then offered them the next logical step. Right. Which was? For me, it was just coaching. So at the time, it was an online course that I created. Mm-hmm. And it was about the fact that if they got at least halfway through the book, they already know they want a business. So how do they work out what I called then their genius method? getting the next step of their business. Now, ironically, all of that is automated now. I don't teach any of that because I feel like I've progressed in my own career, but it's still there bringing me clients. And some people now will read the book who have already got a successful business, but they feel the same way. They did in the corporate world and now want other help in their business. So it still works. Yeah, and so um, since that first book, um, how many books have you written? Just one on my own at the moment. Four I've co-authored. So you've co Oh, right. that's just that's another thing that we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Let's just hold that to one side. So you've written that one on your own in ten days. You've co-authored, which is another great way of creating a book without having to do it all yourself. Yeah. Um, four of us, I think you said. Yeah. And how many have you published? Because obviously you've got your publishing company, um, inspired by publishing, yeah. which publishes books for authors. So how many of those yeah. have you published? At right now, we've published twenty-three best-selling books. Wow, amazing. So 23 best-selling books. Um, what have you found to be the difference that makes the difference when it comes to writing a bestseller or is it writing it or is it marketing it or is it a combination of the two? What is it that makes a book a bestseller? Great question. So bestseller is all about marketing. You can have a one-page book with absolutely no value in it and you can still get a bestseller. That's why I'm not a massive fan of the concept of a best-selling book. I have best-selling books and I created them, but it's what you do with the best-seller status that makes the difference. Yes. So that, for me, I'd say it's the marketing. It's about getting sales. It's about getting people wanting to buy your book. Yeah. Well, that title, how important is that? Again, I, I don't think title is as a bestseller. Yeah. Title will get you the sales that will get you the money through the door. Because right. what most people do when they to become bestseller is you want to get smaller, as many sales as possible in a short amount of time. Yes. Which most of the time probably would already know you. Yes. So you can probably ask people that bought my book what the title was and they probably wouldn't have known it. But they bought it because you'd written it exactly. and they wanted to support you and they were interested in learning. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the key from what you said is it's how do we get as many book sales as possible in a short time period as yeah. possible. Um, rather than, it's not really about longevity, it's about that short period of time. So what, what tips would you give to 
for somebody who's um, written a book, wants to get bestseller status, um, how can they, what can they do, what tactics can they utilize in order to make sure that they sell as many books as possible in a short period of time? Yeah. So biggest tip is to make your launch of your book everybody else's business too. So okay. get everyone, it's a bit like having a live event but not really having a live event. Yeah. Set a day and time that you're going to launch the book and make sure everybody knows about it. They need to take action at that day and time. Why? So make a big event out of it is the first step. And the second one is give them a reward as a basis for it. So we always recommend having loads of bonuses. If they buy within the first 24 hours, email you the receipt and give them gifts. Like what? Like what, so, you, what? Did you do this on the first book? Yeah. What did you give? Because actually there will probably be quite a few people watching this, listening to this, who are coaches, who have written a book or are writing a book. And by the way, even if you've written a book, could you still relaunch and use this strategy to get bestseller status? You can. Right? So, um, yeah, give us some examples of what kind of gift bonuses you gave away to reward people for buying yeah. on that on that day. So you can piggyback on what you've already got. So extra lead magnets. Yeah. You can, I used to do webinars quite a lot, so I would give them a VIP ticket to a webinar and then I'd just let them come in an hour before and I'd do Q&A before the main webinar. Uh, given digital copies of the book. So a really yeah. good one is obviously people buy the book, but they've got to wait for Amazon to ship it. Yeah. So saying to them, as a thank you, download your PDF version that you can print, annotate, because also on Kindle, you can't do that. You yeah. can't print it. So giving people that if they buy a copy, mm-hmm. meet and greets, uh, in-person tickets, anything that's going to get them. Biggest tip I know now, I didn't know then, get, it to the, get them to a live event with you and get the book as a ticket. So get them to bring the book because then other people will see you have loads of people having the book and it just it massively will scale your results. Nice, love it. Um, and so yeah, I, I mentioned it briefly, having um, an existing book that you're relaunching, what are the differences, because I know that there's a lot of people in our community yeah. um, that have been to our expert enterprise events that have written books um, and maybe you know not done as good a job of marketing as I could have. So what are the differences when you're relaunching an existing book versus launching a new one? Yeah. So it's a very similar marketing strategy, but you need yeah. to change the book. You yeah. cannot do it with the current book you're already doing. So add, do a second edition, yeah. add either, either a prologue or like a, a chapter at the beginning, which has something to do with the changes or something at the end, or give a bonus extra within the book. So a second edition so yeah. that people want to get it, because then if they've already got a copy of the book, they're still going to get another one because they don't want to miss out on the bonuses. Yeah. And the same process. Do a priority list, get, give them bonuses for buying, and just really market it for that particular day and month. Great. Um, we mentioned earlier, I want to come back to it, co-authoring. Yeah. So what would be some of the reasons why you would, you said you've written one book on your own and four co-authored, mm-hmm. so my guess is you prefer the co-author model, <laughs> um, yeah. since you've done it four times more. Um, what are the main differences between, why would you co-author rather than just Write off on your own. Yeah. What What's your thinking around that? So the real reason is three things: time. So it's obviously a lot quicker to come off a book. Quicker than ten, ten days. You're obviously <laughs> big on time. Right. Yeah. So definitely quicker because you only have to write your write less words. Yeah. Second one is more visibility because right. there's so all the co-author books I've done I've also published. So sixteen co-authors. I'm one of sixteen people that are going to promote that book. Yes. So you get way more positioning and way more visibility and the third one is authority you can piggyback other people's association so in all of our books we've had some people that don't have a big audience but we have some people that have a really big audience and really big authority so you become associated with them so for us it's been a no-brainer to continue doing that 
Hey, real quick, I just want to take a minute to tell you about something really exciting we've got coming up here at Expert Empires. When I speak with my clients, with my fellow business owners, entrepreneurs, there are three key areas I'm hearing people want and need help in. The first one is mindset. How do you overcome the blockages, the barriers, the negative thoughts that inevitably come with running a business? The second one is marketing. Like what's working right now when it comes to generating more leads, more opportunities, more inquiries for your business. And then the third one is money. When you build a successful business, what do you do with your money? How do you save on tax? How do you um, invest to build long-term permanent wealth? And I've got a number of different advisors and consultants that I go to for advice in these areas. What I've done is put together a brand new private two-day event where I'm bringing my advisors, the consultants, the mentors that I go to, bringing them together to advise you for the first time ever in these three areas. To get all the event details and to find out how you can purchase your ticket at the best possible deal, click the link in the description of this episode. I suppose really it's, it's another way of utilising joint ventures, collaborations, partnerships, which I've done a lot of. Um, you know, when we have an event like Expert Empires, we have lots of different people speaking on stage. It's similar, um, I guess a similar thing, just done in a different way, different environment. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense if the way to get bestseller status is to sell as many books as possible in a short period of time. And you've got 16 people all marketing, promoting the book, that's 16 times as much activity um, and therefore you're more likely to move up to bestseller status. You mentioned earlier, once you've got bestseller status, it's like, what do you do with that? So how, because um, I'm going to play devil's advocate. It seems like everyone's written a best-selling book now. Um, so like, let's pretend I'm a super skeptic, which I'm not, but let's pretend I am. Like, why does it matter? Yeah, and do you know what, Nick, I've been asking myself that question for years, because my pet hate is you can actually become a bestseller by buying a hundred of your own books on loads of Amazon accounts and leave them in your garage. Yeah. And there are people that teach that, which drives me mad because being a best-selling author for me is not about an ego thing. It's not yeah. about, you know, you don't put a poster up in your bedroom and go to bed sleeping about that, right? Yeah. It's about what you do with it. So for me, it's about marketing that, using it as your authority, but using it to get more sales in your business. So getting published and getting paid, not just being a published best-selling author. Yeah, and I know that you, like you mentioned earlier, once you became a best-selling author, you then started to get, in your business, like mine, more speaking gigs. Um, but of course, you know, there might be various different business models and types that are watching or listening, but how did becoming a best-selling author lead to speaking gigs for you, or um, maybe with you know, the, the 20 odd other bestsellers that you published, like how have they used their bestseller status, not just to get speaking gigs, but to build their businesses in other ways? Yeah, so first thing is, it, it anyone who's already around you that's making on the fence, it'll right. tip them over. Yeah. So I've got a client that we did his book called um, AJ Doing That, and he, his book was helped. Hello, AJ. Oh, Google, Google Paperclip Specialist, yeah. yeah? Exactly. Cool. So, there you go, AJ. Got a little shout out on the podcast. <laughs> so he wrote a book called How to Win Customers of Google Apps. Yeah. So he does do speaking bits if really want to, but there were people who were on the fence of working with him who didn't really understand the importance of it. It's, they didn't even read the book, they just saw he had a best selling book, booked calls with him, and he hit five figures on just that book sales on from the book within the first week of launching. And that's selling courses or services? Consultancy. Consultancy. Yeah. yeah. So you can use it for consultancy. Obviously, we do a lot of speaking gigs. So 
that one of the biggest ways you can monetize it isn't actually necessarily by calls to action. It's just adding it to your website, adding it to your funnels, adding it to your social media. Talk about it because then people, there's a perceived status in having a best-selling book. People think, oh, Nick must know what he's talking about if he's done this. Yeah, yeah it's, it's similar to, um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, yesterday, we went out for lunch, um, and he was asking me about the podcast. And he was like, well, you know, are you still doing the podcast? And because we haven't, we haven't spoken that much recently. And, and like, how's it working for you? And I went, look, I cannot show you on a spreadsheet the return on investment or you know, return on time invested on the podcast. I can't say that by doing, every time we do 10 episodes, it generates this much in sales. But anecdotally, I can tell you that, um, and again, it doesn't matter what kind of product or service you sell. Anecdotally, I can tell you that there are people who come to our events and purchase our mastermind programs, things like that, and they consistently say that they've been listening to the podcast regularly um, or that they've binged a load of episodes in the week leading up to the event. And in my mind, that just dramatically enhances the, the trust, the rapport, the connection, the likelihood of them somebody becoming a paying client or a customer. And I think what you're saying with AJ is an example of that. Um, even if, just even the perception that he's got a best-selling book, I certainly hear that a lot um, when people don't realise I've got a podcast and I say I haven't. Like to me, I mean, look, let's face it, anyone can start a podcast. It doesn't really cost anything. You can get the equipment pretty cheap. Um, it's just putting a bit of time into create the episodes and, and learning how to upload them to the various platforms. Anyone can do that, but most people don't. I guess what you're saying is anyone can write a book and actually anyone can become a best-selling author but most people don't exactly. and so it gives you that that higher level of authority and, and profile exactly and even now i don't know if we're going to go into the technical stuff but with ai that's coming out and you can write your whole book and literally never need to be involved and people still don't because there is there is a lot there is a i would play devil's advocate do we not think that using let's say chat gpt yeah. for example to write a book and then putting your name on it. Morally, ethically, what do you think? What's your What's your opinion? Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I think people that write their whole book on ChatGPT, one, you don't as much as you do legally own the asset. If yeah. people quote you on it, you're not going to know. Like the amount of times I went, I'm running up on stage at an event, and I go to the bathroom, and someone's in the room. Oh my god, what you said in chapter 24 was so resonated with me. If I don't know what I said in chapter 24, I'd be like, uh, yeah, uh, what did I say again? Yeah. So I do think there's a massive ethics thing, but also, like, there, with technology, I will bet in about six to 12 months, Amazon will have checkers like that and yeah. will get flagged. So for me, the way I, because I'm not going to lie and say don't use it, like, we both have to discuss it, I do use ChatGPT yeah. and other AI software because I'm up for learning, but for me, it's about the audio generation. Yeah. It's about filling the gaps. So if I've got a three-step process, I'll ask that GPT for say seven steps and go, what else am I not seeing? Because yeah. we delete things and there are there are, we all think differently. There are loads of ways people process information. If I only write my book in the way I process information, I'm not helping everyone. Yeah, makes sense. And look, I am certainly not anti-AI um, or anti-chat GPT. I think it's yeah, the fact is um, these um, yeah, these tools are only going to become um, more intelligent, are only going to become more widely used, and if we don't utilise them in some way, shape or form, then um, we're going to get left behind. So I'm not anti-using these tools. I think 
I'm just questioning when it comes to creating content. Well, by the way, this is the same whether it's a book or any form of written content. And of course, in time, there'll be audio content and there'll be video content that can be made um, using AI as well. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I think what we need to think about is if you're writing a book, you know, a, a, a proper book, and you haven't written a word of it yourself, there are, I would say, do what you want to do, but there are consequences to that. In the same way that there are consequences to writing it yourself from scratch, um, because it's going to take you a lot longer. Um, and, you know, if, if you do it the old way of writing a book, then it could take you months and sometimes years. And if you do it the new, smart way, using your checklist and your tools and things like that, then it could be as little as 10 days as you do. Um, so I think you've got to do what's right for you. I, I guess I'm just challenging the, the use of AI a little <laughs> bit when it comes to creating um, creating books of content. Also, um, of course, we've spoke about this at Mastermind recently, but I feel like really the skill, there is a skill required to using AI for content creation um, because like platforms like ChatGPT will only give you answers to the questions you ask it. They will only respond to the commands you give. And so I think in time, as uh, these platforms, these tools evolve, then they'll become more intelligent and will get better at using them. And so it might be a way to um, to shorten the process of creating content. Um, so what would you say to someone who says that they're thinking about writing a book, but they're like, they feel like they've got a book inside them, but they struggle with the creative process and they're, they're, they've got the inspiration, but maybe not the information yet to write a book. What would you say to someone yeah. thinking that way? I get asked this a lot, actually, especially the inspiration over information piece. So I always say to people, as long as you're an expert in something, yeah. then you have got information inside, you just don't have to get it out of you yet. Yeah. So work out who it is you want to help, that's the first tip, yeah. and what you help them with. And the first thing I would recommend, write 10 pieces of advice to that person. Okay, Any 10 things. Yeah. Those 10 things can end up being your 10 chapters in your book, or possibly 20, 30, depending. Because once you start thinking, you'll think of other things to go, oh, actually, yeah, part, step four actually has a point five or whatever, yeah. 4.1234. 4. So start there, get your juices flowing, and then ask around. Third tip, ask other clients, what did I help you with? What golden nugget did you take away from what I shared? And they'll probably start helping you write the book more than you go away. Yeah, that's great advice, great advice. Um, tools, resources have you got for our audience to support them in writing their book, in being better at getting it marketed, best ever status, like how can you help our expert advice community, what, what have you got for us? So I'm actually in the process of writing a next another book that I'm currently writing and it's day four, so we'll see if I can get it done in the 10 days. As okay. as no pressure. <laughs> Which is called Get Published, Get Paid. Mm -hmm. However, I also have a cheat sheet that's attached to that. So the cheat sheet's ready, so if anybody wants to get that, we can just share the link. And yeah, the link will be in the show notes uh, on podcast platform, and I guess we'll put it in the description on the YouTube channel, Jav. Mm -hmm. um, so you can get the cheat sheet for get published, get paid, um, and of course, keep your eye out for the book, yeah. which, given the fact that Chloe tends to write in less than 10 days, should be out very soon. <laughs> um, the final thing I want to ask you, which is not related to any of this, um, you're, uh, as I said, right at the start, you know, um, international speaker, you're going to be speaking at Expert Empires very soon. Um, 
I also know that you've got a business called Queens in Business that, that you and I have worked on um, together in, in Mastermind. So you're championing like female entrepreneurship. Why do you think there are so few world-renowned female speakers? You didn't warn me about this question. No, I didn't. So I didn't, I didn't <laughs> need to come up with like a prepared answer. Yeah. I want to hear your opinion because, um, you know, I've been running large-scale events for many, many years and um, it still, still now frustrates me that, you know, when I look at headline speakers, there's like 10 times more male potential headline speakers. And I, I pride myself on creating, um, certainly, uh, you know, ensuring that we've got um, the people on stage are representative of our audience, and our audience tends to be about 50-50 male female. Um, why do you think at the, at the top end of the speaker market there are so few female speakers? So I'm gonna give my honest answer, however, I've got to say that this is not coming from a place of victim mode, but what I would say is there's a lot of women in history, generations, that have been pushed down and not been allowed to do things. And I am the reason I'm championing it is because I want women to stop staying in that victim mode and allowing that BS to continue because it's not behaviour, in my view. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm so passionate about this, whether it's speaking, writing books, is that no offence, no matter what gender you associate as, everybody is as good as each other, and it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, both, neither, it doesn't matter. What matters is the expertise you have. But to answer your question, what I think has happened in the past is it's been easy for women to not speak. It's been easy for us not to put ourselves out there. And so for a lot of women, and even there are some incredible experts that will be great on a webinar, be great on a Facebook Live. The minute you put them in front of an audience, they panic because they've never had to have that level of judgment that level of vulnerability and when i first became a speaker i was looking down as you like there was hardly any women in there and when i i'll be honest i got speaking gigs because i was the only female speaker right and i was the token speaker that they put on their stages and people say to me women does it not bother you that the only reason you get speaking gig is because you're female and my response was i don't care what's giving me the opportunity i'm going to show them why they will keep giving me the opportunity and the challenge I've got for women is that the more we play small, we're giving more permission to other women to stay small. Yeah. And I actually think that for women, we need to actually just step out and go, right, yes, that's been in the past, let it pass and show why we should keep being given opportunities. And to go on the other side, to gents, guys out there, keep giving women the opportunities, keep encouraging it, because the more we can step away from what we've experienced, stop playing that same BS story, mm. that's the past. Let's create the new future without sounding really cliche. Well, cliches are normally cliches because <laughs> they're true. Um, uh, thank you. I appreciate you. I was putting you on the spot. I wanted to ask your opinion on it. Um, you know, as a multi-award winning international female speaker, um, I had to take the opportunity to ask the question. Um, so thank you for joining us on the Empire Boys podcast. Make sure those that are listening, watching, um, use the link in the show notes, in the description to get your get published, get paid cheat sheets, um, and keep an eye out because Chloe Bisson is going to be bringing the fire on stage at Expert Empires very soon. Can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember, till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.